Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food and Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, and I'm so excited about my guest today, who I, I never get to spend enough time with. He is the chef owner of Peg Leg Porker, which is a, uh, a it's barbecue. It is now bourbon. It is a state of mind <laughs> located in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate oh, you having me. And what is bringing you to New York City today? Yeah, I am doing an event this weekend at Pig Beach. It's a uh, a benefit for the family of Jeff Mickner, who, uh, who passed away last year suddenly uh, at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And so there are 11 of the top pitmasters in the country have come together to uh, raise money for his uh, wife and daughter. And so it's uh, something that's near and dear to our heart. We've all cooked at Pig Beach, and so uh, we, want to, uh, we want to do a great job for his family. Okay, let's go right into this because barbecue people have the biggest hurts in the world, and it's it's such a family, and you all take care of each other in a in a really particular way. Why is that about barbecue in particular? You know, I think barbecue really stems from family and from community, mm-hmm. and that's what it means to us. It's it's a lifestyle, and um, so. You know the fact that barbecue takes such a long time to cook. Yeah. It gives it gives you time to to be around your friends and family and spend that time visiting and telling stories and having drinks. And so we've built a a really strong community. I feel like across the country. And um, when when somebody's in need, then you can generally count on some barbecue people to be around. <laughs> oh, I've seen like what Stan Hayes does with Operation Barbecue Rescue. It is they it do is, an amazing job. Yeah. So if, if people aren't familiar with that, they roll up into uh, in the wake of natural disasters, pull up some rigs and start feeding people, and it's all volunteer. And they've they've served what millions over over two million meals now. And uh, so it's it's just an unbelievable effort of people coming together. Uh, if if the pitmasters can't make it, then generally they donate money. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many of them donate their time. Stan uh, does it full time. John David Wheeler is a huge supporter. Uh, so many other people have been um, huge supporters of it. And they, like you said, they wheel into town mm-hmm. in disaster areas and they just feed people. Yeah. It's no bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. It is, you need a hot meal, we got one for you. Yeah, there is no question there. I mean, it, I always think of barbecue is, uh, it gets talked about as such a great leveler because, you know, people from all different parts of society, economic uh, circumstances, race, religion can come together over this particular food. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it you know, it, it like you said, it's a leveler. It, it brings people from every walk of life together, uh, from the richest to the poorest, yeah. uh, they can. There's truly a seat for everybody at the table in barbecue. Well, I re- yeah, I remember John T. Edge talking about like you you go into the parking lot of somewhere and there's Mercedes Benzes yeah. and then old beaters like yeah, in, absolutely. and everybody has to wait in line and, and do their thing. Yeah, but I, you know, and I'm also thinking that there is such a great tradition of barbecue people taking care of each other. Some years back, Rodney Scott's place uh, burned down. His original yes. flagship. Uh, place it's in South Carolina, what is, uh, Hemingway, 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 South Carolina, and there was a thing that happened that was uh, Rodney in exile. Yes, <laughs> so, he went on a five city tour, five or six cities, and uh, 
and a lot of folks came together to raise money for him, uh, and it was headed by uh, the SFA, really helped out with that, uh, and um, helped him rebuild that pit house. Yeah, for people who don't know, also the Southern Food Foodways Alliance SFA is is a, a force of of good and smoke and yeah. and goodness. And so we have just—I'm not sure when this is going to air—but just yesterday in real time, um, we announced the Best New Chefs class of 2019, and there is a pitmaster named Brian Furman on there. How does the barbecue community feel about having? being recognized on a list like that when I I think, you know, at least in media, barbecue is celebrated, but it's kept in a separate box often from, from fine dining. It is. So there is, um, I'm, I'm thrilled that Brian made the list. Uh, Brian's a great guy. He's got a great, great place. Incidentally, his place just burned down in, uh, in Atlanta. He's still got his, uh, yeah, he's still got his Savannah place, but, um, so he's in the process of trying to rebuild, and and people have had fundraisers for he and his family. Uh, I'm, you know, something like a food and wine list, naming him uh, one of the top ten, I think is uh, is outstanding. He also mm-hmm. was a uh, semifinalist for the Beard Awards yeah. this year, as were a couple of other pitmasters. Yeah, um, I've got a I've, my opinion on that is, and I've made it clear in the press, and and not all my fellow pitmasters agree with me. <laughs> I think that in the Beard Awards that they should have a separate category for pitmasters, mm-hmm. uh, not not in every region, but one nationwide. Because mm-hmm. um, I think what we do is very different. Mm-hmm. It's not less. Yeah. It's just different. Uh, and if you're going to separate the pastry chefs from the bakers, yeah. then why would you not separate the pitmasters from uh, the chefs? That's That's my opinion on the you know, not on the best chefs, but on the on the Beard Awards. It's an interesting thing to me because then with Beard Awards, you're taking the whole restaurant into consideration. And some of the places that do the absolute best barbecue are places where you go and you get it and you sit outside. And I remember going into Rodney Scott's place in, in Hemingway, South Carolina. Yep. They're individually wrapped like slices of, of cake that were, God, I want one of those right now. Yeah. Like made by <laughs> church ladies. There was like a leak on the floor. And so, and it, and it was pr- pretty humble little place that people were lining up outside and we went and like across the street to like sit at like a park bench and it was the happiest I'd been in in ages but that's you know and it's such a it's a different metric so it's I hadn't thought about it that way before but that you know that makes sense well and like I said that's my opinion Mm -hmm. that I I have had debates with fellow (laughs) pitmasters who are not of the same opinion yeah um we've had two pitmasters win it Aaron Franklin was the yeah. first, and then uh, Rodney won it last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, both guys absolutely deserving mm-hmm. of the award. Sure. Uh, I just, my personal opinion is that it would be, I think that the genre is getting enough attention to where it warrants a a separate category. Oh, yeah, and it gets attention <laughs> in various ways. So yes, I'm sure. I was reading up yesterday yeah. uh, that uh, a piece sort of resurfaced of, of yours. Let's talk about barbecue snobbery. All right, and absolutely. The, so lists comes out. The list, lists come out all the time in different metric forms. Some places aggregate all the Yelp scores. Some places oh, yeah. 
actually, there are a few places in the country that actually have a critic who goes around to all the different barbecue places, like God bless Daniel Vaughn, who goes all over Texas to do that. But otherwise, the metric for what gets high on a list is specious in a lot of places, and people have very, very strong opinions on these. So you originally wrote something in response to, was it a Texas Monthly, or where was the original story? No, the original story where I wrote, uh, the piece that I wrote was called A Letter to Armchair Barbecue Critics. (laughs) And um, they originally, in 2014, Nashville got named the number one barbecue city in the United States. It's a really By travel and leisure. Yeah. And it got, that uh, got a lot of responses. Imagine uh, Texas had something to say about it, North Carolina. Texas (laughs) did, Memphis did, um, you know, North Carolina did. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, and, and... and that's I understand it. Mm-hmm. We're all passionate about uh, barbecue. Uh, the gist of my letter to those armchair critics was, uh, we don't we don't make hateful comments like this about each other, and we do this for a living. We're the we're the experts. Yeah, you're you're a you're a fan, which is great. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we don't try and tear each other down like this. Why would you try and tear us down? as a community or as individual states or cities or establishments. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote that letter in 2014. It elicited a lot of mm-hmm. very positive responses from uh, from my fellow barbecue people all around uh, the country and all around the world. Um, I just got named uh, top barbecue, you know, best barbecue place in the state of Tennessee. Wow. Congratulations. By, thank you. By Southern Living. Yeah. And, um it most of the comments were positive, but we had a we had somebody in Memphis that was a, a freelancer mm-hmm. that uh, put out a tweet that was <laughs> that was you know basically said what the fuck mm-hmm. you know what what is this fuckery and um, it was retweeted you know retweeted by uh, several other people and it started in on some Memphis to Nashville bashing and mm-hmm. then. You know, how could he possibly have the best barbecue? He's not in Memphis, and that's okay. I've got very thick skin. Um, but so I, I decided to write uh, <laughs> a couple of days ago a uh, letter to Armchair Barbecue Critics Part, part 2. two. <laughs> and so I just kind of reiterated what I had said in the first letter was that, um, you know, I'm very close friends with a lot of the barbecue owners Y'all roll deep. Uh, in Memphis, and, and they are they're close friends personal friends. We respect each other's businesses. Mm -hmm. We refer business to them. They refer business to us Mm -hmm. with people who are on a barbecue tour. And the same way in Nashville. My competitors are also my friends. And you know that Pat Martin and I are close friends and have been since before either one of us had a restaurant. Love that man and his whole family. (laughs) And, and, and then, you know, our other barbecue competitors with, with Edley's and Jack's and, and uh, the Jim and Nick's folks are all friends of ours. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, we send each other business all the time. You know, we're closed on Sunday, so we send people to the other places that aren't. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's disheartening to see people who don't do it for a living trying to to create a rift in the community 
where it doesn't exist. It's it's a weird, hurtful thing, and it comes out of this misguided fandom. I mean, and you can transpose it to all different things, to to music, to whatever. Sure. Like, if you're a fan of this, how can you, you know, possibly like the, you know, it's it's messed up because we're really in it for because you love things. It should be about getting people to good and better and more. Yeah. It, look, it's not a requirement that you hate somebody else's barbecue yeah. in order to love mine. Yeah. That, that's just the bottom line is uh, you don't have to hate somebody else to love me. And, yeah. and um, it's okay. You know, there's a lot of great barbecue. They're all different styles and yeah. everybody has their own take on it. And that's what makes barbecue great is that you don't have to have a favorite. You know, yeah. it's just like music. I yeah. mean, you know, somebody asks you what your favorite album is. Well, hell, you got 10 or 20 that you love. Yeah. And so uh, barbecue's the same way. It, it, uh, it's not a, you know, there are barbecue competitions. Yeah. Being in the restaurant business is hard enough without people shitting on you. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And <laughs> so. I agree. Like, I hate that question. You know, Beatles or Stones? I'm like, both? Yeah. <laughs> they're They're both great. And why wouldn't you have both yeah. of those in why your arsenal? Why do I have to choose? Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, I, people wear it as this weird badge. It's, and it's kind of like this... Uh, for a while, it was like this broy kind of thing. Like people, oh, yeah. it is so funny because like people, whenever I write anything about barbecue or do anything, um, people who sort of don't know me online try to swagger at me, and I'm like, uh, I don't need to prove my cred, but yeah. if you do want a picture yeah. like of this this thing, I, I go to this, this barbecue symposium and speak at it every year that Amy Mills has yeah. and stuff. I'm like, do you want to see me hanging out with the pitmasters? Do you want this thing? And like, it's it, and it's just weird. It's like in place of a personality. Sometimes oh, yeah. like people have this, and you were saying bourbon has that too. Bourbon does the same thing. You get bourbon <laughs> snobs, you know. Uh, I, I've had people call. We're a non-distilling producer, so we buy bourbon. And uh, when we de-barrel it, we put our finish on it, which yeah. is unique to us. Uh, it's a hickory charcoal finish mm-hmm. after it's de-barreled. Uh, and, and we've won several awards with it. That's We're great. proud of it. 80% of the bourbons out there on the shelf come out of four distilleries. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't feel any shame in being a non-distilling producer right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we produce a great product. But I've had people call me a faker <laughs> and people dog me because we weren't distilling and you know i just look at them and say well that's my product on the shelf that's that's selling through you know where is your product or or do you do you own a bourbon company i'm sorry uh maybe maybe (laughs) you do maybe it doesn't seem like you do and so uh why are you dogging me who actually owns a bourbon company it's it's funny it's it's I think people are insecure about a lot of things and they take obsessive fandom about something as in lieu of, of really feeling confident about themselves. So I, yeah. I do think it comes from a place of insecurity in that same way when you're a little kid, maybe you have the best baseball cards. Maybe you have. Sure, no. I was thinking, you know that movie Ghost World? Like, I, I don't know that movie. Oh, okay, it's it's this thing where uh, it's about obsessive record collectors, oh, okay. and it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. And my take is, if you really love something and somebody doesn't know about it, don't make them feel silly about that. Be like, hey, I get to introduce you to something really fantastic. And yeah, you know, the best champions for uh, barbecue or for bourbon are the ones that want to explore and try new things. You know, and and hey, what's your favorite bourbon? I don't know. I hope I hadn't tasted it yet. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm still out there tasting everything, and I want to take in as much as I can. And, you know, for me with barbecue, I, I, 
when I was when I was young, and and I've been cooking for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was younger, you know, there was what I what I thought I knew. Yeah. And then as I got older, and I had competed and 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 been involved in a lot more barbecue and cooked a lot more. Mm-hmm. There's what I knew then, which was more, but still not a lot. And then you know, after running a restaurant for the past six years and feeding, you know hundreds of thousands of people there's what i know now Mm -hmm. and you know what in 10 years there'll be what i know then it's Mm -hmm. it's a it's a constant evolution Mm -hmm. and um if you really want to embrace a culture like barbecue or bourbon then realize that you're constantly learning and and it's not absolute I'd, l- I'd like to think that there's so much more out there for me in anything that I... Yeah, absolutely. I, like, well, let's talk about the role of mentorship in this, too, because this is a very old art. Sure. Centuries old art that, yeah. you know, uh, probably came about from survival for yeah. a lot of people. And it's 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 a poor people food and yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, but, uh, you know, it, there's this, again, outside notion of, like, well, it's my secret barbecue thing. And when we... You know, the people on the inside are so generous with their knowledge because they know what it takes is time. Sure. It's time and temperature. Barbecue is not rocket science. It is time and temperature. Um, There are a lot of flavors that you can incorporate into it. There's a lot of styles. At the end of the day, time, temperature, consistency uh, is really what counts. Um, You know, I learned from my Uncle Bruce Mm -hmm. was the first person that really uh, took me under his wing and started teaching me. The first thing I learned how to smoke was a turkey, and we did a smoked turkey. My Uncle Bruce had a great one, and uh, we we called him Uncle Juice. I thought it was because he drank a lot of orange juice. It turns out he was a raging alcoholic. Oh, dear. <laughs> Probably he was uh, He was sober for 20 years before he died, so okay. I don't want to uh, give any, any uh, bad perception of my Uncle Bruce. He was a dynamite guy. Uh, but that's where I first learned, and then I joined a barbecue team and learned mm. – Oh, explain uh, I, barbecue team to people. Okay, so I went down with my wife's family to uh, the Memphis and May World Championship Barbecue Competition. This is a big deal. It's the Super Bowl of swine. You yeah. know, now there's <laughs> I think 247 teams in it. Mm-hmm. The the park stretches for a solid mile. The smells uh, must it's, be. It's unbelievable. Um, my uncle competed in Memphis and May number one, and I wow. still have the apron from that. That was actually one. A lot of people say. You know, see this this the year of the woman this year and everything. Memphis in May number one was actually won by a black woman named Bessie, uh, and a lot of Bessie. people don't know that. Well, I don't know a whole lot about Bessie. I've got the newspaper clipping from mm-hmm. where she won that competition. I think second place was a woman as well. Oh, wow. and um, but it was under a big tent in front of the Orpheum, and uh, it <laughs> smoked up the whole tent. Everybody kind of had to get out of the tent. <laughs> They had a, my uncle told me a story about this guy from Missouri that came in bragging that he was going to beat everybody's ass in this competition. And he took a whole hog and hung it from a tripod in chicken wire over an open fire, like a cochon de lait. Yeah. And he started proceeding to, to trash talk and drink quarts of beer. <laughs> and he passed out in the middle of the night. And, uh, all of a sudden, everybody woke up. There were sirens going off, and the Memphis Fire Department was hosing down this guy's hog, which had caught on fire, and flames were shooting up about 15, 20 feet in the air. Oh, my God. They said when they woke up, he packed up and uh, and, and took off. No one's ever seen him Never, again. <laughs> never seen him since. Oh, my God. So competition so, is an interesting way to come yeah. up, too, because... 
it, it, it's a funny thing. Competition is. It I've is. I've been a judge. I'm a KCBS certified judge, and I've judged right. the Jack before. Yep. And that barbecue is so different than Very the different. barbecue that I think of when I go to my favorite places, especially throughout the the South, sure. where there is time, where there is all this, where you can taste the smoke, you can taste the stuff. I go to competitions, and I get frustrated because so much of it is about injections. Oh yeah, it tastes like it tastes like fruit. It's a bastardized version of traditional barbecue, mm-hmm. and I've said that for years. And and that's it's it's in, it's interesting because. You know, when part of my mentorship and, and, and growing up, I was on yeah. a team with Ernie Meller and, and Trip Murray uh, called uh, Hog. Well, first it was the Rolling Wonder Pigs. <laughs> then we got the first year I went down there, they got kicked out of the competition and had to sit out a year. And we came back and started Hog Wild. Okay. And those guys were the captains. And I cooked under them for about 12 years and learned a lot from those guys. Wow. Um, but it used to be down there that you would cook what you would cook for your friends and family. You put it in a box, mm-hmm. and you sent it to the judges, and that was it. It was traditional barbecue. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they would come and judge on site. It was a lot of showmanship, a lot of you can you know, you know can lie, you can do whatever. That's all part of the rules. It's, it's, you yeah. can exaggerate and, and say whatever you want. But you turned in what you would normally cook for your friends and family. Mm-hmm. Over the years, you know, uh, competitions like the KCBS circuit mm-hmm. uh, really became a big machine and and really made competitions accessible to everybody, whereas yeah. Memphis was always just kind of for the big boys. It seemed that way. And um, they did a great job with that and spreading the word of barbecue and, and the gospel, but their competitions were very different. And, uh, and that started to creep into the Memphis in May, and so now it's kind of all, it's about that one bite yeah. And it's heavy, heavy seasoned, heavy, heavy injected, or uh, most of it, not all of it, but it's a, uh, it's a different type of barbecue than you're going to serve to your friends and family. Yeah, and I, I don't know if the general public knows about that, uh, so that particular distinction. So I don't much. know that they do. Yeah, and some I mean, do, but not all. You know. And that you can go to a barbecue competition and walk away hungry because you, yes. so when I was a judge, we would get our boxes and you have to pace yourself because that is a lot of barbecue to eat in a oh, sitting. Yeah. Um, so people would sort of like stand around the edge of the pen and we would hand out oh, things yeah. to them. Because I yeah. hate wasting food. Nothing. Oh, sure. It was beaten into me by the nuns in Catholic school. You do oh, not yeah. waste food. And no, so, absolutely. Yeah, but those are those are some long nights at the competition. Are. I spent many night on the river in Memphis and <laughs> Many a night under a blue tarp after drinking heavily and thinking that I was going to uh, die of hypothermia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's some cold nights out there in barbecue, and you think, like, oh, it's a smoker and stuff. Like, I have frozen my ass off. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> So then there's a camaraderie that comes up from the competitions then, too. You cross-pollinate your teams. It's not yes. – there might be some ribbing, some whatever, but people fundamentally – like if somebody needed something, you would give it to them, right? Typically. You know, the culture for the Memphis and May uh, cooks has always been share, help out. Okay, if I didn't make the finals but Kat did, mm-hmm. I need to go and ask her if there's anything that I have that she needs for her final presentation. Yeah. Um, I've seen in other competitions where people are very secretive. They're huddling over their <laughs> smokers. They're, you know, they're saying, don't come and look at what I'm doing. They call it shigging. Uh, and that's when you're that's when you're trying to look at somebody else's stuff. And I want to read it like, uh, like all the, the dialect of this. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, we don't. 
we never saw that much at Memphis in May. Mm-hmm. You see some secrecy, but for the most part, most people down there are pretty open about what yeah. they're doing and about um, what uh, you know what goes on, and and pretty open with recipes. We have been over the years. We'll take people onto our team and show them what we do, and and uh, uh, help them out, and and teach them what we know. You know, if you if you're not teaching that next generation, yeah. then the next generation's not gonna have good barbecue. Yeah, that would be a and, crime. <laughs> yeah, so we don't give all. I mean, I'm not giving out the recipe for my dry seasoning, but I will explain enough about it to somebody to where they can formulate their own yeah. to their own taste. And um, I, I, you know, I think that's what this community's about. It's so personal. Barbecue is so so personal, and I know that like my husband is from near the Lexington area. Oh yeah. So that is so that is a really definitive thing for him. I sure. grew up in Kentucky, but we didn't really have barbecue in the part where I grew up. So people right. are like, oh, assume you like the the mutton and stuff. Yep. And, and I've had it since then, and I absolutely love it. But people become really partisan oh, yeah. about that kind of thing. So then, how did you go from the competition thing to opening up? your own place i've been doing it for a long time i'd been kicking around the idea of opening my own place mm-hmm. i had been in healthcare. i'd been in it mm-hmm. uh but uh my my love was always for barbecue and for that lifestyle and so and, and it uh, is a lifestyle it is a lifestyle <laughs> and so uh finally you know a, a opportunity presented itself or i left a company and um I had a boss I didn't get along with, mm-hmm. and um, she and I just kept button heads, and yeah. it ended up with me leaving the company. And I cons- I had a, a client that had gone with me to some cooking events. I was mm-hmm. doing some stuff like uh, boudin and beer mm-hmm. down in New Orleans for the Emerald Legacy Foundation, and he had gone with me some of that stuff, and he said, why don't you come and consult for me? And I said, well, I really want to open this restaurant. And he said, well, this is perfect then because you can set your own hours. Mm-hmm. You can work when you want to, and you can open your restaurant. And I'm 100%, I'll am i be your first client. I'm 100% wow. behind it. I love the food world. And so it offered me an opportunity to feed my family while I was trying to build out a restaurant. Yeah. And so that was very uh, fortunate for me. And um, it came from years of networking and meeting the right people and talking about what I loved. Mm-hmm. And so um, we finally made the, the choice, and we jumped off, and uh, um, and it was a, a journey. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's tough. Uh, it's a lot. But, well, let's talk about that because so this, you know, the podcast is part of Food and Wine Pro. So there sure. are a lot of people who are going to be listening to this, thinking like, I love barbecue, I love all of this stuff. How do I how do I make this start for myself? How do I find a partner? How do I find that kind of that that place to do it all of those nitty-gritty things it's you know so i would say to anybody starting any restaurant Mm -hmm. is preparation 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 uh the more research you can do the more people you can talk to that are in the restaurant business sit down with them pick their brain go work in their restaurant for free on the weekends do whatever you can do to educate yourself because it all sounds great and romantic and fun and the fact of the matter is, it's very hard on your marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very hard on a relationship. It's hard on your children um, because you just have to be there a lot. When we yeah. when we first opened, I think I was there every shift that we were open every day. You know, for at least the first year, if not the first two years, it okay. just there wasn't a shift that I didn't work. Yeah, um, and. Um, 
I had somebody else that had come along with me that had been cooking uh, for years with me uh, that uh, is now, he's my pit master and general manager, uh, Steve Dresch, and he dedicated so, so much of his time as well. He was a welder by trade. He yeah. wanted to get out of welding and uh, and come and cook with me, and so he did. And, um, you know, it was just a, it's a lot of hard work, but it was a lot of, you know, you a lot of fights, a lot of with your with your spouse or soulmate, whoever, and uh, a lot of time away from your children. You feel guilty about that. Yeah, you're trying to build something for your future and for their future mm-hmm. if they want to do it. But you, but the cost is, yeah, you you you're gone a lot, and 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 build spreadsheets, look up your ingredients, talk to the food service reps, talk to computer reps with point of sale. The more you know about all of that before you open your doors, the better off you're going to be. And I know a lot of people end up going into business with family. Somehow it becomes a, yeah. a sort of a very a family affair. Like, so how have you managed to to do this? How do you have that reconnection when you've been gone so much? How do you make time? Well, so all three of my children worked in the restaurant. Uh, my wife worked in the restaurant uh, some. She'll tell you I fired her. I didn't fire her. She didn't want me telling her what to do. And so, they, you know, and we would be standing up there at Expo, and she wouldn't wouldn't be doing it the way that I wanted it done. Yeah. And, you know, I'd say something to her about it, and she'd snap back, don't tell me what to do. And, <laughs> and so, and we are very both, I've we've been together 32 years. Yeah. I mean, we have very strong personalities, and we do not hold back. We <laughs> listen to our podcast, the uh, infamous need- slaw incident of 1995, on my Live from Bullshit Corner podcast. Okay, and you'll, everybody needs gonna, to subscribe to Live <laughs> from Bullshit yeah. Corner. <laughs> so it, uh, you know, it. So it did. It was tough for us to work together. Yeah. And as a result, we don't. Yeah. Uh, so um, she doesn't work in the restaurant. Uh, she, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't have a significant influence yeah. over the restaurant. She is one of the owners. And let me tell you, your partner is going to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, whether they're there physically working or not. And my children worked there, which was great. And so that allowed us to spend time together there at the shop. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's very tough. How old are they? Uh, They're now, uh, I've got a 21-year-old boy, a 20-year-old boy, and a 17-year-old girl. Oh, wow. And so they're all, we're about to be empty nesters. Katie's about to go off to college. Whoa. And Conley's (laughs) living in Portland, Maine. And um, Carrie is in Nashville and is working with me right now. So... Do you feel like I, I've had this conversation with a bunch of people who were born into barbecue right. and did not want to accept the mantle of this? Our friend Amy Mills uh, right. had that. I'm I'm thinking of uh, who else are the people in? Oh, uh, Sam Jones, who right. is I think fourth generation yep. um, in Texas. Uh, Wayne Mueller, right. multi generation. All of them ran from it and eventually came back and realized that they wanted to build this business for another generation and some of them in, involve their kids in it. Uh, so where do you stand on that? that that's not unusual. Yeah. Um, you know, I would love for all three of my children to be involved in it. Yeah. Uh, the fact of the matter is this was my dream. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be their dream. Um, I would be tickled to death if it is their dream and they want to be involved and and for the long term, but you got to step back and you got to go, this is what I wanted to do. And I need to let my child live their life 
and and pursue their passion, and it may not be the same as mine. Uh, so it's tough, and I'm trying to let them make those decisions right. and understand that it may be 10 years, and one of them may come back and say, now I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it it uh, But you got to let – I feel like you have to let them do their own thing. And I think once they go do something else – if it was in the back of their mind, then they've got to come about it and, and they've got to want to be that part of it. If if they're going to have the same passion that you do, it's got to come from their heart yeah. and not from pressure uh, from from me, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, so there are a lot of people, I, I, I sort of feel like in barbecue more than in other parts of the the food sector, being chefs, being bartenders, who had a different career beforehand. I'm thinking of our, our best new chef, um, Brian Furman. He told me he had a career as a welder. Right. Before this, you mentioned somebody else who had a career as a welder. People, Yeah, my GM and pitmaster. Yeah, and, and I feel like there are people who went and did something else uh, for a while. I, th- I think like Wayne Mueller out of Texas, like he had a whole other career before this where people were in all different fields. And then what is it about barbecue that makes it so people can can do that, have this whole other background and then come into it? I think, you know, uh, it's tough to, to come out of the gate and go, okay, I'm going to be a pit master and I'm going to start a restaurant. I mean, yeah, if you hadn't suspicious. spent a lot of time doing it, it's you're probably not going to do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people do it on nights and weekends yeah. while they have a career. And, you know, for me, I started several different companies and I've had several different businesses. Um, and I've had businesses that I started and failed. And one of the reasons we're successful now is from the lessons that I learned <laughs> in the previous failures. And so um, I, I think that because barbecue takes a while for you to really feel like you're a, a pro at it that you probably are going to have, you know, you may have another career before, and unless you grew up in it, mm-hmm. then, then you might, you know, you might feel comfortable enough to say, all right, I'm going to take it over. But even growing up in it, I mean, mm-hmm. my children can cook barbecue fine, but can they run the restaurant? Not at this age. They're, you know, it's, it's, uh, they don't have that skill set yet. And some of that just comes with time and, right. and maturity. Yeah. So it, it, it takes a lot of that. And yeah. also is barbecue I, I feel like it's a little bit kinder on the body than like working a line in a restaurant if need be. I mean there it's definitely deeply, deeply physical work, but you can sit down sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you can sit down sometimes because of the time involved. And a lot of it depends on you know, what you're cooking on mm-hmm. or how you're cooking. Yeah. And um, and so there are certainly ways to where it doesn't have to be as physically agonizing as it has been in the past. Yeah. And that's a debate right now. You know, I mean, there's a yeah. lot of debate on, hey, you know, you get a lot of food writers that say, hey, if you're not burning down and shoveling coals under a pit all night, it's not real barbecue. Oh, they get really mad about the gas barbecue. Yeah, Some people I tell do. them to fuck off. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't. I, that's <laughs> bullshit. And that's where, that's why I said on... David Chang's show, Ugly Delicious, don't tell me how to cook my shit. Yeah. Um, we manufacture pits that I yeah. designed and that we used to weld in my driveway. Yeah. Uh, that Steve Dresch and I did, and, and along with a lot of our other team members. We've got brick pits on the front of our restaurant mm-hmm. where we burn down coals and we shovel them. Um, but we also use uh, gas assist pits. They're wood-burning pits with a gas assist, 
and I have zero shame in using those. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because of the volume that we put out, yeah. on a Saturday, we'll serve 350, 400 racks of ribs Whoa. Uh, in one day. How many and, customers is that? Uh, well, we'll do on a Saturday, we'll do anywhere from 12 to 1500 covers. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, you're talking about really high volume and and we've kept the quality up. And one yeah. of the reasons that we're able to keep that quality up is because of the type of cooker that we're using. We're mm-hmm. cooking with all hickory. Um, you know, it is gas assist, so you can go home at night. Um, we cook fresh every day. Uh, but, you know, like we talked about earlier, barbecue is about time and temperature and mm-hmm. consistency. And if you have consistency in that pit, it's tough to cook ribs over a pit where you're shoveling coals all day yeah. and then be consistent. Uh, some are going to get, you know, it's tough to have them consistent in any kind of pit. But when you're shoveling coals, you get a lot of spikes in temperature, and it makes it it makes it tough. And I'm not dogging anybody that's shoveling coals. So, you know, kudos to you. That's great. We do it when we feel like it and mm-hmm. when we're cooking whole hogs and when we're cooking on our front pits or when we're – uh, cooking on the pits that we design, yeah. which are all wood and charcoal burners. But judge the food that I put on your plate. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me how to get there. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, it's just you're not the expert. I am. Yeah. And so I, don't tell me how to cook my shit. Yeah. It's, it, you can judge it. I'll put it on your plate, and if it's not any good, then tell me. I can take it. <laughs> but so far, people are lining up to get it. And so, you know, you can make the argument all day that, I'm cheating, but that's just bullshit. Having had your barbecue yeah. on multiple occasions, I can't imagine yeah. somebody coming up to you and being like, well, at, at well, you. they do, you know, and it's okay. <laughs> it, like I said, it, it's all right. They mm-hmm. don't, they don't do it for a living. Yeah. You know, you're going to go tell a high end chef in New York that he can't sue V because that's cheating. <laughs> Who gives a shit? I mean, it's great. Fo- if it's great food, yeah. it's great food. At, a, at the site where I used to work, our unofficial uh, tagline was, if it tastes good, it is good. That's right. <laughs> and I, think that's... I mean, that's right. And it comes down to food snobbery or barbecue snobbery or mm-hmm. bourbon snobbery. People can turn their nose down at different types of bourbon or different types of food. But the fact of the matter is people like what they like. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to make a living in this business, which is a very hard business, you better learn to give people what they like. And I'm not saying compromise and do put out crappy stuff, mm-hmm. but if you want to live with the classes, feed the masses. Yeah. If you want to live with the masses, feed the classes. I mean, it's very hard to make a living in high-end restaurants mm-hmm. for a reason because it's very hard to prepare that food and there's a lot of waste. And, um, you know, it. It uh, there's a reason why certain brands are – very successful. It's because people may not want to admit that they like it, <laughs> but they like it. Oh, people have their shame eats that hey, they... <laughs> Fireball's a billion-dollar brand. It's massive, and it so, felt like it came out of kind of nowhere, and it is one of those de facto, you're at a bachelorette party, there's going to be fireball shots. Nashville's <laughs> the number one city for fireball in the country. It's such a big bachelorette city. We are the number one bachelorette <laughs> city in the country now. Can we talk about the growth of Nashville? Mm-hmm. It's exploded... Uh, with populations, with business. I talk to a lot of people from there who say they have a hard time hiring um, yes. at restaurants because the population boom is is out of control. And, and so that means restaurants are, are out of control and there's so many places, so it's hard to get enough skilled workers. It's very tough. So, And we pay well, uh, but it's very tough to, um, to get 
good employees and to hire any employees right now. Nashville has more cranes in it than any other city in the country right now. It's nuts. They when you go keep there. announcing new five hundred million to a billion dollar projects of of large, you know, twenty acre projects. It's that's the real estate has gone through the roof. One of the biggest problems is affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Even if you can find the people to work at your restaurant, uh, they have trouble finding a place to live yeah. anywhere close. And so. Um, I love. I, I'm a native Nashvilleian, born and raised, and um, and a native Tennessean, uh, and I love to see the growth of Nashville. I'm not somebody who's poo-pooing it or saying, "Oh, you're ruining our city." Right. If cities don't grow, they die, and Nashville is growing, and that's a good thing. Uh, but it is it is a very hard environment in the restaurant business, in the hospitality industry in general, yeah. in Nashville right now, uh, to find great employees. And so we try and treat our employees like family. Yeah. We try and pay them well and give them good benefits. And um, as a result, we've got a lot of people who have stayed with us for a long time. And what do you look for in an employee? Like what's really important to you when you hire? For us, it is about a customer experience. And so we are a cinder block, uh, wall, and concrete floor, counter service restaurant. Um Everything we're a hundred percent independent. We don't have any financial backers. Oh. We don't have. We're not part of any group. It is my wife and I, and everything that we own on the line, and one hundred percent. We own our building, uh, and uh, so we we're a true, true independent. And and we look for people. Every picture, every knickknack that's in our restaurant is a piece of our life, and so. When we when you come in, we're welcoming you into our home and our life, and you're becoming a part of our story. And so we look for employees that believe in that story mm-hmm. and that believe in the experience and that the customer doesn't just walk away saying, I had a great meal. Yeah. They say, I had a great experience. Oh, you remember how you feel when you go into a place. Yeah. So how do you, because you, you know this is a thing I care about very, very much. Um, how do you take care of the people who work for you physically, mentally, all, all of those things? What what do you do for, for them to make them feel safe and and taken care of? Yeah, and that's tough. And I know it's a, a passion of yours yeah. and um, uh, certainly feel strong about it myself. We are... Uh, we're not open on Sundays, mm-hmm. which in the barbecue world is like a is is unheard of. Right. Um, and we've debated, and we still may open on Sundays at some point. But we we our managers are scheduled for forty hours a week. They're not mm-hmm. scheduled for seventy or eighty or ninety. We're not trying to push people to the breaking point. Uh, we think that there's a work life balance. Uh, we do employee outings. Uh, you know, we try and do them once a quarter where we take our employees out and we buy them drinks or dinner or lunch or have their families over. You know, we'll do a Super Bowl party. And so, um, and then we truly care when somebody has an issue, they, you know, they can come and talk to me. They're talking, you know, they talk to the owner. They, I'm there every day. Uh, and, and I may not be on the floor, but I, my office is there and the door is open. And so, uh, I think that you have to, one, make sure that they feel like they're a part of that story and that family, which they are. They're mm-hmm. an integral part. 
And two, I, I think you just you have to have a, a great rapport, and then you have to respect their, um, you know, you have to respect their opinions and their mm-hmm. feelings. And sometimes more than you want to legally these days. <laughs> right, there's a lot going on. But but, but it um, but if 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 you if you don't feel like they're an integral part of your business and care about them personally, mm-hmm. then you're probably not a great operator. Yeah. I mean, I, I just believe that. It, it's, you don't, you don't want to have people serving your customer that don't believe in what they're doing. Yeah. Do you ever have a circumstance, uh, this is just something I'm asked a lot, where yeah. there is somebody working for you who you're worried about and you, like, whether you feel their head's not in the game or maybe they're overdoing it with some things or just might have some personal circumstances... How do you have that conversation with them? How do you check in on them? What are the words you use? How do you, what is the physical circumstance in which you approach them for that? We haven't had a lot of that. Mm-hmm. We had, we, I did have uh, one incident with a employee that um, was in a abusive relationship oh. that was deeply concerning to me and to my wife. And really, um, we, we worried about her and we, uh, uh, felt very strongly about it. Um, my way of dealing with it was that I went down. I did, and, and you don't want to crawl into their personal life, and so you don't yeah. want to pry too much. Uh, I don't know how much she wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Um, the way that I dealt with it was I went down to the YWCA and I asked them how I would, should deal with it. Yeah. I got information from them. I got a card from them, uh, and I listened to what they had to say. And then I brought the employee in. I said, look, I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't want to get, you know, I, I don't want to be somewhere you don't want me to be. Yeah. What I do want you to know is that we love you and that we think that you should be respected for who you are and that you have a lot of worth and that you are important. Yeah. And so um, if you want to talk, we're here and, um, you know, and here is some information and I don't know if you need it or not, but mm-hmm. if you do, I want you to know that we can provide a safe place for you. And, you know, that's that's how I handled it. And yeah. um, it, I don't know any other way to handle it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't I, know if that was the right thing. You know what? The, I, I don't think there's a rule book for it, and it sounds like you took the right yeah. steps for it too, but I think people are so afraid of awkward conversations or making it worse, and I always yeah. say just have the conversation and, you know, read read it as, as you're going into it and see how they're yeah. responding to it, what their body language is and how they're, they're feeling about it. And yeah. as a boss, I think you have to do that. I, I think that my opinion on that situation was she needed to know that people loved her yeah. and cared about her, mm-hmm. and she had had a tough childhood. Yeah. And so uh, probably over the years, her self-esteem had been beaten down. Yeah. And you hate to see that. Um, she had a, a, a beautiful uh, personality and uh, was a, a beautiful person and um, uh, really deserved, like everybody, yeah. to be happy and to feel safe. And so we tried to make her feel that way at work and and with us um, and in the personal life. Uh, she has to decide whether she wants to uh, get help. But I think you need to let them know that you're there. If they want to seek help, then you're there to give them a helping hand. Yeah. 
I think that is a really reasonable and good way. You can't yeah. force anybody into yeah. taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we can talk about um, your business called Peg Leg Porker for a reason. That's right. <laughs> Let's yes. talk about that. I'm a fat, ball-headed, one-legged man is, uh, is why. <laughs> so I literally am the Peg Leg Porker. I so, love that. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's something that I really want to talk to you about, like, for food and wine is have, like, people with all different bodies, like, in yeah. – in the kitchen and stuff. So you lost your leg to cancer. I did. Yeah. Uh, so I lost my leg to osteogenic sarcoma, bone cancer, when I was 17. It was mm-hmm. the summer before my senior year. And, um, you know, I was able to move forward yeah. from it. I had a very good support system mm-hmm. with uh, family and uh, church and friends. And so, uh, and I had gone through something earlier in my life that had really bothered me by, m- with my parents' divorce. It mm-hmm. was very hard on me. Uh, and so the, when the cancer came along, it just didn't seem to bother me that much because mm-hmm. I already felt like I'd gone through something that I felt like was worse. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to be honest, when you have cancer yourself, it, you don't feel that bad. You know, it, it, didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't affect me nearly as much as it affected my mother and my sister. Yeah. And, and later my father got cancer, and that was much more uh, – I was much – more affected by that than by my own. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to see a loved one go through it. Uh, for me, going through it myself, I was like, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, let's get let's get moving forward here. Yeah, it's, it's so. always just been, to, to me, like it's just a fundamental just part of who you are, like yeah. the fact that you call yourself Big Like Borger. Yeah, I mean, you know. So does that then open it up for other people who just have whatever stuff going on with their bodies to work with you, around you, consult with you? Uh, I don't have a whole lot work with me or around me or consult with me. I, I do have a lot of people consult with me. Mm-hmm. So and I just got a uh, a text on Facebook mm-hmm. with a guy that I don't know mm-hmm. that follows us. Uh, he reached out, said my wife has got uh, uh, stage four uh, synovial uh, sarcoma, mm-hmm. and she's about to lose her leg above the knee. Yeah. And do you have any advice? And, you know, I told him about my experience some and um, – and, you know, having a positive attitude, having positive people around her, and then, you know, trying to find a good prosthesis so that you get a fit and it doesn't shy you away from wearing a leg. Um, and, you know, he reached back out and said, wow, I, I, you know, I didn't think you would answer me. Oh. And I'm so glad you did. And that, you know, makes me feel better. And so um, – what I try and do is, if people reach out, is respond. Mm-hmm. We've got shirts that say "Limping ain't easy." We have a, uh, <laughs> we've got a lot of, we have a lot of amputees, yeah. a lot of people in wheelchairs, a lot of people with bum knees or hips that come in and buy those shirts. They love them, <laughs> and it it adds a little bit of humor to a situation yeah. that might not be so, uh, you know, uh, full of laughs. Yeah. And and that's, if I can do that, then then I think that that's. Uh, then that's great. I, I, I work with some different charities, uh, you know, for amputees, and, mm-hmm. and we're happy to support it. But uh, um, it most of what I get is in the form of questions or, hey, you know, I can relate, and thank you for 
putting having a positive attitude. Yeah. So has that affected just how you look at restaurant design or anything? Because my mother uh, has had disabilities her whole life and stuff, and you know is in a wheelchair now and things. And it right. greatly, and she really she's in a nursing home and can't really go out to places anymore. Yeah. But it really informed where we could go to eat. Oh, sure. Because before she could do that, she would have to go somewhere where she would have to have her leg propped up, and you could tell when the people who work there were like, oh, we have to accommodate her, or yeah. when I go out with my older relatives, the eye roll about like, oh, I guess we have to deal with that. Yeah. And there's a training a, a training of front of house people and also just of how spaces are designed that I think could be a lot more thoughtful. Uh, I think so. We, you know, of course we keep accommodations in mind with what we do f- for me, for my mobility, one, mm-hmm. also for the customer. I think my employees are fairly sensitive to it because because they see me every day and they yeah. understand that some things are not as easy yeah. uh, for me to get around or to do. Um, I think it's very important. And and I think that people need to understand that even if they look at you and think, oh, you know, he's normal, he's fine, you know, he's just, you know, his leg's cut off, but he's whining about it a little, <laughs> uh, you know, then then – they what they need to understand is even though they may be a close friend and think it's nothing to you, yeah, it's still you know like the airport today. I mean, yeah. you know, I got off the flight and yeah. they ask if I want a wheelchair, and you're kind of like you're like how you know how far is it? If it's JFK, it's very yeah, far. And, and some people say, well, oh, it's not that far, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, but I I have one leg. For me, what you call not too far <laughs> and what I call not too far right. are two very different things, yeah. and so. Those do become issues. They're and they're ones that people ought to be a little more sensitive to. It yeah. is not, and and it's a not a a, a a shameful thing, but it's a it's a self conscious thing. So yeah. when your mom sees a relative roll their eyes, or when I have somebody, you know, yeah. you know, you feel it's, it, you feel it, and and um and you take it. You're tough, but it. You yeah. know, you're like, man, you know, you just don't understand. You know, for an amputee, it takes twice the effort to go half the distance. Yeah. And that's just a physical, it's not due to the, it's not really the the leg or the equipment that you have. It is a physical limitation of your body because of your yeah. circulation system. You've lost a quarter of your circulation system. Yeah. Your body was, does not process oxygen the yeah. same way. And so um, it's... I think that the restaurant world could be a lot more accommodating to that. I full on agree with yeah. you about that. Like it's, yeah, I think, you know, restaurants, uh, the restaurant industry is in turnaround about a whole lot of different kind of things. Sure. So you're, you know, you have this business that's going on and things. Who are you seeing coming up? who is really exciting to you and you think that like, cause you, you seems like you were mentored by some really great people. So who's, who's coming up? Who's I was, uh, you know, I think, well, Brian Furman is one who's oh. done extremely well and is coming up. Uh, he's got a great personality. He's a great guy he's and he so produces lovely. a great food. Um, Zach Parker in Tennessee, down in Lexington, he took over his, uh, uh, his father, uh, Ricky Parker, died at a young oh, age. He did, yes. Was B.E. Scott's barbecue. Okay, yeah. Um, Zach, I met Zach probably when he was 15 or 16, mm-hmm. working for his dad. And I've known him uh, throughout the years. And he's starting to come into his own. You know, he was thrown in a 
even though he'd been around barbecue all all his life, to be thrown into a restaurant at age twenty or twenty one with without you know the mentor that was teaching you be there anymore yeah. is a tough thing. And he's done an outstanding job. And so I'm I'm glad to see him. Uh down in New Orleans, you got the boys uh, from Blue Oak Barbecue. I'm so interested are, in what are, they're doing. Are doing a great job and good guys. And so there are people all over the country, and, and there's a renaissance, you know, sort of of a, a lot of different uh, barbecue guys coming into it. And, and women. Um, <laughs> and women doing a lot. My wife is competing against me at Memphis in May this what? year. Yeah, straight oh. up straight up head-to-head. She's two booths away. Uh, Tell me about this trash talk that must be happening. Oh yeah, we're trash talking each other. Yeah, what is her Big team? Time. What is her team called? What's your team called? My team is the Peg Leg Porkers, which mm-hmm. has always been. Her team is called I Only Smoke When I Drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, she is uh, ready to go. She'll be cooking on one of our smokers, so we'll both be cooking on the same smokers. Level playing field. Uh, we're both competing in whole hog, <laughs> and so uh, it's gonna be. It'll be fun. Oh my. Gosh, yeah. to be like, yeah. the wolf. It'll be fun. But, you know, the, the, neither one of us take it too serious. Yeah. And so I, that's what's fun about it. Yeah. Is that we could go down, we could trash talk, and we can we can have fun. And uh, I think it'll be a good time. Yeah. And I and also I love that, you know, that you have that spirit in it, but also with the people coming up, I feel like there are more people of color who well, are reclaiming barbecue, and that's sure. really important, and, and women. Yeah, and Howard Conyers is a, has made a big splash. He's actually a where's, rocket scientist. Where's he? I He's down know. in New Orleans. I'm uh, find him. And, um, and uh, then, um, you know, a, a lot of the, and you know, a lot of these women have been in it for years yeah. that have just simply been overlooked in some circles. Uh, you have Leslie Roark down at uh, in Yazoo City, Mississippi, with U Bonds, and um, you know Melissa Cookston has always made a big splash. But there are a lot of other women down mm-hmm. at Memphis in May that um, you know, and in competition, and out there, and owning restaurants. There's a lot of others um, that uh, that are out there making a big splash, but they just haven't gotten the they haven't gotten the press yeah. that they deserve. And so, uh, and I don't know why that is. It, it, for me, we we have a lot of women on our staff. Mm-hmm. I love them. They're generally hard workers, and um, they, you know, I I trust the women on my staff. My number two in my organization is a woman. Yeah. And um, I don't know where that, you know, I guess it just came over the years, but yeah. I don't know where these women who have cooked just as prominently as men have not been recognized the same way. I don't know if you've seen the most recent series of of Queer Eye, but there are two sisters who own a barbecue place and they made over their whole lives and their shop. Oh, wow. They ended up, they had the sauce that they had had at the restaurant and they had always wanted to take to market but didn't really know how to do that. Yeah. They put it on the show, and like overnight, it's they, I think um, last I looked, it's probably bigger at this point. They had sold like eleven thousand bottles over oh a weekend or something. That's and, great. And America fell in love with these these two women, and it oh, was that's just great. the most special thing in the world. I think they were around Kansas City because that's where the season was. Well, that's great. My wife and daughter probably saw it. They love that show and that it's Drag Race. A, that's their two favorite it's shows. So, they want to send. They want to put me on uh, Queer Eye and get a makeover. I told them, no way. Okay, let's Sorry. put this out into the universe. 
because this is not going to happen. Let's just put right there. <laughs> well, I think hopefully we have Anthony from Greer as yeah. an upcoming guest on here. So <laughs> whether you want it or not, this yeah. is happening. No. But you were saying they want to do that for you. A question that I ask everybody yeah. is you do all these things for other people. You're taking care of, of family and business and all this. What's the thing you want for you? Uh, you know, I'm doing the thing that I want for me. My, I can, I, I travel a lot now. Um, you know, I cook a lot of different events. I'm, I'm busy. We're, we're very busy at the shop. And then we have our other businesses with the spirits and the smokers and the food. And, um, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you need to, you know, take some time for yourself. The fact of the matter is most people that are like me, thrive on this and and I can bitch and complain about it sometimes but if I weren't doing it I would be I would be unhappy I'm yeah. you know and and so um it, if you talk about something that I like to go do and relax we've got a lake house and just being at the lake house is is it's been in my family for 60 years and and being down on Pickwick Lake is a a huge thing for me just I can go and kind of let it all go down there and and not stress about it yeah but other than that most people like <laughs> most people in my industry live off we feed <laughs> off of that stress i think you know for, for people to say they don't they they most of them do i, I love that yeah. i love barbecue people yeah. do we have a speed round yeah okay <laughs> so, all right what is your comfort food um gosh um biscuits and gravy you are not the only person to say that yeah. either. Is yeah. there a particular place you like to go for it? Because I know Actually, you have biscuit love in your town. Yeah, biscuit love is great. Actually, probably my more in the same vein, but that probably was my favorite thing growing up is chip beef on toast. Oh, shit on a shingle? Well, shit on a shingle. So I would say that the distinction is shit on a shingle is this shit on a shingle is usually ground beef okay. in gravy, whereas chip beef on toast is chipped beef, you know, which most people probably haven't been exposed to these days. I love that stuff. I love it's it. So it's so comforting. Great. The little, like the Hormel in the little jar or yeah. the armor in the little jar. That's exactly what I was yeah, picturing. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. What is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Um... You know, I had uh, I had a meal the other night at Taylor in Nashville that totally changed my perception of I went, you know, and it's supposed to be Indian type food. And I thought, you know, I don't like Indian food. And cause I'd had it like once or twice, maybe. I think I had it in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And I went and had this meal uh, the the other day, uh, Sunday night, as a matter of fact, and it totally, totally, 100% changed my perception of that type of food. And in fact, his father, it's Vivek's, uh, uh, Surrey in Nashville, his father was there and his mother, and his father is trying to convince him to change it, to not say Indian food, to say South Asian with American influence. Mm -hmm. Um, so that people don't have that. I think some people just say, oh, I don't like Indian food. They and, just haven't had the right stuff. And <laughs> just hadn't had the right thing. And But a meal that made me emotional I was at the Southern Foodways Alliance, and uh, and Ashley Christensen did a lunch. I was there, and oh, I don't know why. I still think about that yeah. meal all the time. I, I, I don't know why, but it physically made me kind of emotional, and it, I, and I have no idea why. But it was it was a dynamite meal. Yeah. But for something triggered me that uh, you know that that made me compelled. I had to go up and say something to her after the meal. And Ashley and I are good friends, but yeah. but I felt. 
like like physically compelled to go and tell her how much I enjoyed that meal. I, I was at that meal too, and it was funny because it was in the middle of a barbecue symposium and she served an all-vegetable yeah. meal. Yeah. That was the most baller yeah. thing. Yeah, it was crazy. And yeah, it was so special. But it was I, very good. I think about that meal like once a week. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it's so great. What is the last meal that somebody made for you in their home? Um, I, I went over to a buddy's house uh, and we were... Uh, he's one of my old friends, and he and his wife, and they uh, made steak. They just made they made fillet medallions. That's really nice. It was pe- great. People don't cook for chefs, and, and yeah, <laughs> it's it's such get, a thing. well. I'm not a chef, so I'm not classically <laughs> trained. I cook barbecue, but people do get intimidated sometimes, yeah. and they shouldn't be. Because we like all kinds. We love everything. I want to make you some chip beef on dust. Yeah, oh, I love it. I would welcome it. So this question, because of where you live, is going to be interesting. Um, yeah. What living musician would you want to cook for, and what would you cook them? Uh, that's a hard one. Yeah. In fact, I just uh, tweeted out one of my favorites literally died today oh, earl thomas conley i'm so sorry uh no i uh, it's uh, i didn't know him and i never uh, saw him but he he was a uh, loved his music uh i'm trying to think of who is a living musical artist that i would love to cook for living in nashville i figured we have a lot come in yeah. we we've had uh several you know a lot of musicians come in but if i had to personally cook for uh one it's living, I guess. Um, it's a tough one for a lot. That, that's a very tough one. I, I'm trying to think. Cat, uh, I'm I'm at a loss. We can come back to one. All right, one we'll other have to qu- come back. Okay, so the other one is you, you have five uninterrupted minutes for self care. What do you do? Sit at the lake and do nothing. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> just stare into space. Yeah. Just do not. Just have a drink. And say a musician walks up to you. Yeah. <laughs> who, who is this? Oh gosh. Um, like, what's the thing that's on repeat on in your in your music device or your feed? Um, I like uh, I like Sturgeon. I tell you who would be a great one. Al Green. Oh yeah. Al what, Green. What would you make for Al Green? I just I just had a friend. Uh, uh, I, I, I ate um, I ate something the other day down at Pesh mm-hmm. uh, that was a catfish over greens I've, with the pot liquor kind of over the, the catfish. Yeah, and um, I, I learned how to make uh, greens gumbo from a recipe from Marcel uh, Bienvenu yeah. years ago from a from a, a symposium. I'd like to make that fried catfish dish. Over greens gumbo, so it'd be potato salad base with uh, with greens, and then the fried catfish on top with the and, and ladle the the uh, pot liquor over it. Look out, Al Green! I think that <laughs> I think that would be that would be a good one. Oh my gosh, I think that's a great place yeah. for this. Thank you so much today, yeah. our, our guest, Carrie Bringle. You can find him at Peg Leg Porker on all the different social things. You can yeah. find him in Nashville. Look for his bourbon on your shelf. And uh, if it's not in your state yet, go and talk to the people who are responsible for that. Um, And thank you so much to our producers, Jennifer Martnick, Alicia Cabral, and Amy Frank. Thanks to Douglas Wagner for our delightful
delightful theme song. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, write a review, or rate us because those stars and comments matter. If there is something you'd like us to talk about or a guest you'd like to hear from, please let us know. You can find me on Twitter at Kitten with a Whip. Find out more about the show and catch up on all of the episodes at foodandwine.com and Food and Wine's YouTube page. Thanks for listening and take good care of yourself until the next time.